we should talk about this episode. This one is mine. Is it? You know what? I don't even want to hear your opinion yet. I do not want to hear. Two D, the flat frontier. These are the voyages of the Pancake Enterprise. Its rotoscoped mission to repeat the same animation and music, to transcend the limitations of 70s animation, to go boldly where no cartoon has gone before. Toon Trek, based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry. Starring Paul Spataro. Also starring Dave Pascarella. With Bill Robinson, and Andrew Leyland as Andy. Production assistants, J. David Wheater. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Toon Trek. I'm Paul Spitero, and I am joined, as ever, by Dr. Bill Robinson. I don't have lips. Sir Andrew Leyland. I'm faking being sick. And Commander Dave Pascarella. So this is what the zoo looks like, huh? <laughs> so today we are here to discuss Season 1, Episode 15 of Star Trek The Animated Series, The Eye of the Beholder. But before we get to that, do any of you guys have any Star Trek talk? Yeah, Picard shut down production because everyone's got COVID. Everyone has COVID. I mean, wow. that's the reality of life right now. Everyone has yeah. COVID, so nobody should do anything. 50, 50 members of cast and crew tested positive, so they shut down production. I do, don't do, know if this is on Series 2 or Series 3, because my understanding was they were filming them both back-to-back, because, you know, Patrick Stewart's not getting any younger. Do any of them have symptoms? I have no idea. I'm not on set. Because <laughs> that's what it seems like lately is that everybody's got COVID, but I haven't, I'm not hearing about anybody with any significant symptoms. I'm sure there are some out there, and uh, I don't want to get the angry emails telling me about how I'm, I'm understating it. Uh, but I'm hearing about a lot of people who are, you know, getting COVID and either don't have any symptoms at all or, you know, running a 99 fever, you know, stuff like that. So hopefully that means we're starting to see the tail end of this and we can move on and actually live our lives again well my wife had seven people in her family uh over the past uh, two weeks uh they at varying degrees had covid luckily none of them had to be in the hospital um her mother had it uh so she was feeling she's like 73 so she was feeling a little you know she was kind of hit her a little bit uh, everybody else is you know, kids, younger people. They seem to be, you know, very, like I said, very, very minor degrees. Uh, in our hospital, everybody, there's a bunch of cases. Um, so it is taking up space in our hospital uh, because we serve veterans. So a lot of them have extenuating health circumstances. So, but it does seem to be being more prevalent. Uh, now, I'm not a scientist, but I do believe that viruses, when they mutate, viruses want to live. I want to live. That See, there, that was the Star Trek time. Um, <laughs> that they don't want to kill. They don't want to kill their hosts. That No, they, no they, kill I. 
yeah, no, no kill eye that they want, you know, they want to be able to propagate and spread. So killing your host is not conducive to that. Again, I'm not a doctor. I only play one on a podcast. So don't take my advice as the gospel or as Joe Rogan. <laughs> the gospel according to Joe Rogan. Yeah. <clears throat> so my, my, my closest thing I have to Star Trek news is to show my own ignorance. Uh, I recently heard a... Uh, Somebody used the line, it's a good day to die. And I thought, oh, he's quoting Star Trek. And then he went on to elaborate and explain why he was quote, using that quote, and he he credited it to Geronimo. I had no idea mm. that that was where that came from. I thought I thought that was, I thought it was just a Klingon line. And, and I'm looking it up, and uh, it says... Uh, the, the phrase, a good day to die, or today is a good day to die, is a phrase historically associated with certain Native American cultures. Hmm. Well, you I, haven't, you haven't read those the until you've read them in the original Klingon. Yeah, yeah exactly. Now, now, were any of you were you in, any of you aware of the history of that term? Or are no, you equally right. naive? <laughs> we are equally as ignorant as you are. I, no, I, honestly, I, I thought it was, it is a good day to die. I always just see a Michael Dorn. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. I mean, his other big one is ramming speed. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that was not Geronimo. <laughs> no, but I think that's... Oh, it was somebody in... Maybe like a World War Two. quote. No, no. I think it was no. like the Civil War. Or no, no, no. I want to say... Captain Wilson Parmenter said it. Back, I think it was back further... Well, you know, we could just look it up on this machine. I have... Computer. You're all wrong. Captain John Sheridan said it. Oh, stop it. All right. Well, well, let me look up ramming speed. <laughs> Andy should, be, should turn into uh, Chekhov. And anytime we say anything, he should say, oh, it, 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 was, it, was, first in it, Babylon it, it was originally in English. <laughs> it was first in an episode of Babylon 5. <laughs> Why does it just give me movie? I, I just uh, it's it was it was in Ben Hur. Uh, I, I, f I find the ramming speed to be funny when he says it because to me it's equal to Picard the Picard surrender <laughs> because it's like he, he he's he's ready to to go on the suicide mission immediately. <laughs> Wait a minute, our shields our shields aren't holding ramming speed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, uh, well, I'll keep looking it up. But I do have another quote, uh, not not quote, but uh, uh, so uh, has anybody else watched any of Discovery this season? No, no I haven't. I, and I think what I'm going to do is wait until the season's over and then well, watch it's, the entire thing. It, it's at the break until February. I found that out last night because I I watched another episode and keep asking myself why because I'm a glutton for punishment. It's all right, but it's just, I don't know. Now, now for what it's worth, you know, at, at Christmas time, uh, we had dinner with uh, an aunt and, and a cousin. Uh, and they asked me if, if I was watching Discovery. And I said, well, I've watched some and, you know, I, I've kind of lost interest as it's gone on. And they were very into it. They said, oh, the new season's on and we're really enjoying it. So, you know, that got me, that gave me a little more optimism that I might like this more than I have the last two seasons I'll probably catch up with the three that uh, I've heard since I last watched it and give it another go oh so you have that's yeah. right so um, 
No, it's just not. I stopped halfway through, was it the third one? Which I just found really, really dull. I think it was the third one. And I haven't yeah. gone back to it. I like I the mean, new even uniform. Even though there's like massive spanning things going on, and but it's more like... Uh, okay. Right, do you think they've gone however many years into the future they've gone? So we're now literally where no man has gone before. We are literally at the forefront of where we've been and they can start doing interesting stuff. And I don't think they've done it. I don't think they've explored the universe in any interesting way. It's like if you've not had any warp travel for a while and you've not had a Starfleet for a while, why are we not now just fully going instead of once again doing an overarching plot line that may or may not be interesting for 10 episodes or however many we're doing now? Just let's just go boldly again. Well, I mean, the... The episode before uh, this, what it, I guess it would be the sixth and seventh one. In the sixth one, there's there's stuff that happens that I was kind of like, well, this is kind of like this episode from the original series in in one aspect. Um, and then this recent one, um, gee, I just watched it last night and I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's there's so much spent with. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just old and cr- crotchety. I, I find it amusing like, that you're, you're get on with all the this show. talk enough, and you're enough actually giving a review. <laughs> enough with everybody's feelings, okay? Oh, we don't do just feelings. get on with the show. It's like, yeah, all right, we get it. I know. It's cool. And I know right. people, are, people are probably going to say, well, that's what Strange New Worlds is going to be. But yeah. there's only so much you can do with Strange New Worlds because it's yet another prequel. And that's not to say it may not be fun. Now, you probably will. Anson Mount was a, a breath of fresh air. Who doesn't love Rebecca Ramin? I'm not really sold on the guy playing Spock, but I'll give him benefit of the doubt. But again, it's another, it's like, it's another prequel. You know, it's fine reading comic book stories about Christopher Pike, and it's fine reading novels about Christopher Pike. But if you're going to do it as a TV series, you're locked into that prequel mentality where they can't really contradict anything that's happened or will happen. So by necessity, it it strangleholds your storytelling. And one of the interesting things about Discovery in Series 3 was like, we've gone past all of that. We're no longer a prequel. We can do new stuff. And it doesn't really feel like they're doing new stuff. It just feels like the same old stuff. It feels like one of the things that I originally have the problem with Voyager is that they, they flung them into the Alpha Delta Quadrant, wherever they flung them. And yet we were still doing warmed over Klingon stories, but with different aliens. And there seems to be a distinct lack of imagination on the part of the people making the show. Well, so they go to the future and now, I mean, spoilers, if uh, Dave and Paul haven't seen this, you know, what technology doesn't work for reasons. I won't spoil what it is, but when you find out, you're going to be like, "Uh, okay. And, you know, now the Federation went to shit and everybody went their own way because nobody could get around because warps because all all the dilithium went kaboom in in ships. Well, what about the what about the alien ships that didn't use dilithium to do warp speed? Well, I mean, I guess what that would be the Emerald Chain because they kind of became a dominant um, one of the dominant forces and basically the Federation like went back into hiding but then 
Michael Burnham came and everything's been solved, you know, and Discovery came and everything's nice now. Well, because now they've got the one way to get around that nobody else can. <coughs> so, um, and they solve all those problems and, you know, then the rest of the season and part of this season is getting the band back together, getting the Federation back together, bringing people back in contact with each other, spreading dilithium back out through whatever. And then at the same time, we have a new big bad that nobody knows about, which is interesting and could be some type of, you know, is the kind of cool part of a new possible. It better not be some alien race we've already seen or I'm going to be like, ugh. Mm. I'm sorry when you said that warp doesn't work. I guess in the beginning or something it doesn't yeah. work. I keep seeing Eddie Murphy going. The ship it just stopped. You got some jumper cables? Give me a jump. <laughs> well, unfortunately, every ship that had dilithium blew up. Kaboom! It was called the Burn. And for a while there, Andy and I thought that it was going to be Michael Burnham that caused yeah. the burn. But we were wrong. We were wrong. We were wrong. So you're saying everybody's doing the burn. Everybody's doing a grand new dance now. Come on, baby, do the no locomotion. Not, not burn, burn, burn. Never to do the burn. Burn. <laughs> See, I always, I always think you're onto a dead end when you do a story like that in something like Star Trek. So you take away warp drive. Well, what are you going to do then? Where are you going to go? That's why they're the only yeah. one. They've got the spore drive, that, and they can just pop up wherever they need. It's like that really dumb episode of The Next Generation where they couldn't do warp speed because they were tearing the fabric of space-time every time they used it. It's funny oh, you the poor, that, the poor fabric. I was thinking about that recently. That was brought up in the latest episode because a, oh, was that? Okay. a character wants to do something, and they're like, well, that would make warp travel impossible in, in that sector for blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's back, like, you know, when uh, uh, that was uh, Leonard Nimoy's wife. Playing yeah, they needed, they needed permission to travel above warp four or something. Yeah, I liked Admiral Nechev. I, yeah. I didn't find having a problem with her. Oh, no, I, I I like that she was a hard ass. I thought she was quite funny. But I just thought that was an inherently stupid idea. So your entire the entire premise of your show is boldly going at ridiculous speeds because that gets you into the story quicker. So we're going to deliberately handicap something like that. It's just, well, it's I, I have no proof of this, and I'm not making a statement, but I be- believe, I, I want to say at the time it might have been veiled as a thing about, uh, you know, like a environmental thing as a parallel. To, oh, it was very definitely that, you know, but it was a dumb thing to do in story. I mean, just because we're going to adhere to the warp things doesn't mean the Cardassians. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now you're getting into... Now I'm getting into politics. <clears throat> well, I started over the... world themes here on Earth for that. I started over the holiday to rewatch the original Star Trek, the remastered version. Mm-hmm. And I was enjoying myself, and I got up to Miri, and they took it off Amazon. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be on Paramount Plus now, isn't it? As will everything. Mm-hmm. Have you I watched had, Prodigy? I had purchased the Blu-rays of the uh, remastered versions, and and for the three seasons, I think it only cost me like forty dollars or something like that. Yeah, and I did I, that quite some time ago, so I don't know if there's. Uh, well, that, now they're probably scarce. No, they're re-releasing them as steelbooks. Because that's the new thing, re-releasing everything as a steelbook. 
Mm. Have you guys not watched Prodigy? No. You know what? That's, that's on my to watch list, honestly. I, I'm yeah. curious to check it out. I've heard some good things. I don't know if those good things are reality or not, but I've heard good things, so it's on my to watch list. One word review, Andy. Yay, nay? I've not seen it. It's not available oh. here. They're oh. keeping it back to put it on Paramount Plus, the same as uh, oh. Strange New Worlds and stuff. No, when, when is Strange New Worlds scheduled to uh, show? I don't know now. <laughs> I think it's fluctuated because of COVID filming. Because I know Discovery launched late, mm. and now Discovery's taking the break. And they, I don't think they want to have two shows released at the same time. They want you to keep paying that Paramount Plus money. So presumably, when Discovery finishes, that's when Strange New Worlds will launch. Although Prodigy and Discovery are on the air at the same time, aren't they? So, well, you know, two things on the air at the same time is problematic enough three is probably really probably over, a bit too over, much overreaching yeah so i don't know is the answer to the question well speaking of an, an, <laughs> an animated shows 20 minutes saying i don't know yep pretty much <laughs> speaking of animated shows what about the star trek episode we're here to talk about yay so <laughs> gee that didn't sound like it. that was such a smooth segue i didn't even realize you were doing it mm. clever he's very clever isn't he it is very clever clever boy <laughs> Oh, wait, no. So this is The Eye of the Beholder. It originally aired on December 15th, 1973. It is directed, shockingly enough, by Hal Sutherland, written by David Harmon. And the plot is that the USS Enterprise investigates the disappearance of a scientific team near Lactation 7. <laughs> oh, wait, wait a minute. I misread that. It's Lactra 7. Not lactose intolerant 7. The starship Ariola. Oh no! No, wait again. The starship Ariel is located there, abandoned, with its captain having transported to the planet's surface. What? 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 What happened in the day when I did all the bad jokes in the? Uh... You know what's funny is you did the bad jokes and you were criticized for it, so you. Stopped. I know. So now I, I know. picked up that particular uh, want, if you will. But you know, hey. You know, so we have to have fun. If we don't have fun, if we don't have fun, why are we doing this? But I'm going to start it from the beginning again, and I'm going to read it, you know, for real, sort of, except for the mistakes I make that are real mistakes. The USS Enterprise investigates the disappearance of a scientific team near Lactra 7. The starship Ariel is located there, abandoned, with its captain having transported to the planet's surface. The Enterprise crew beams down to discover a series of unusual environments and are captured by the Lactrans, large, slug-like beings with intellectual capacities far beyond their own. Science officer Spock senses that they are telepathic but communicating at a rate of speed too fast to comprehend. The team is installed in a zoo collection with the surviving crew members of the Ariel, one of whom is deathly ill. Enterprise Chief Medical Officer Dr. McCoy excuse me, determines he could cure her if he had his medical kit, which has been confiscated along with their phasers and communicators. After the Ariel crew informs him that the Lactrans attempt to fulfill their captives' needs in response to impressions they pick up in their thoughts, Captain Kirk directs everyone to focus on the mental image of McCoy's medical kit. The Lactrans give them the kit, and McCoy treats their comrade. Kirk suggests 
similarly focusing on a communicator as an object they direly need. A young Lactrin responds, and Kirk calls the Enterprise for a beam-up. The youngster snatches away the communicator and is beamed aboard the ship in their place. The adult Lactrins, upset that their child has disappeared, focus their telepathic energy on Kirk, seeking an explanation. Due to the speed of their thoughts, this runs the risk of destroying Kirk's mind, so the other Starfleet officers project a mental barrier to protect Kirk. Aboard the Enterprise, the youth probes Chief Engineer Scott's mind and processes the ship's entire library system. It proceeds to take the Enterprise galloping out of orbit. The child beams back down with Scotty. The youngster communicates that it has learned and the, what it has learned, and the adults decide that although still primitive, humans and Vulcans are in the process of evolving to a higher order and are set free with the message that they will be welcome back in a number of centuries. So, I thought this was a pretty decent idea, although not you know the most original idea in the world. Uh, I didn't care for the execution, and I think you know that's almost become the theme on this show for my thoughts on these things. Uh, what's his name? The officer from the uh, from the Ariel looks like. Let's just repurpose a, a, an animated cell of of Kirk. Uh, the voice acting from from Duan and and uh, Michelle Barrett are so uninspired that it, it takes away from the episode. And then lastly, this is an area where you, because you're an animated show, you have a chance to really let your imagination go wild with the character models of these creatures that you're, you're putting in. There's, there's a, uh, like a sea monster at the beginning. And then there's the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, Lactrins, uh, and they're just so blah. It really just took away from it. I almost would have been better off, you know, reading this in a novelization instead of uh, instead of seeing it in an animated version. Uh, I did find it very amusing, actually. I, I couldn't stop laughing when the sea monster fell on Doctor McCoy, <laughs> his legs kicking, uh, and and they're just sitting there quietly discussing it as if he, he's not going to be either crushed or suffocate underneath this thing. <laughs> Uh, so I, I found that kind of amusing in its own way, uh, but you know, again, it, it's just you know, it was it was fine for what it is in its own way, but it was disappointing because once again, it's it's a, a just you know a lack of execution that that makes it an episode where I feel like it's a lost opportunity again. Um, what do you guys think? I didn't understand the ending. That uh, the, the, so? the, the the baby alien was able to figure out what was going on in their minds, and that no, they no, were no, not... no, I, I I got all of that. I didn't understand why Captain Kirk had to pretend to be sick when the first person they discover when they beam down to the planet is a sick person. <laughs> That's what I said too to myself. Well, uh... because <laughs> well, they did it. What? <laughs> I love that you two both. Uh, uh, you are the living embodiment of that Nathan Fillion gif. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't get that. And because of course, the person that they find when they beam down, we never find out if McCoy treats her or not. I think you just assume he gave her a pill and she grew a new kidney. Okay, fair enough. So what happened to the other three people? Well, another excellent question. 
they said that no, they did mention that in passing that I think uh, okay. that they did die for reasons. Like, so they, they probably got malaria and died before they got there. Oh, that's what it was. I think no, they got an insect bite that uh, was. Oh wait, no, it was the lady that sick got the insect bite? Yeah, I think it's the lady that's sick that had the insect. Yeah, the three people were dead. They're all dead, Dave. But, uh, but I'm I'm just assuming, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just going with the thought process that they uh, had some sort of similar thing, and they didn't have the medical ability to treat them because they didn't have any kind of medical kit with them, and that that was what you know that's what took them away. He so feigned sickness them. so that they would be able to form a cognitive thought in their head saying we need a medical bag to fix him and then they have an example. Because if he's just standing there and he looks fine, why would they – well, you know, these these highly intelligent beings, beings whose minds work faster than ours, you think they could have seen through this ruse. Oh, my God, he's obviously sick because he's on the ground. Yeah, let's get him the medical bag. That They, they want the thing. The thing, the hoof. Yeah. The hoof, whatever that bag was. Well, they were able to think the communicator into the mix too, right? You know, how about I think, hey, how about you open the door? Hey, how about I need to go to the bathroom? Can I get out of here? Now, this this had some, <clears throat> to me in my mind, there was some derivative stuff. First of all, the first thing it made me think of was the Twilight Zone, and there were two episodes. There's one called The Eye of the Beholder, uh, which the story is really not similar to this. But if you remember that one, it's a woman who has surgery uh, because she's so hideous and uh, you see her with the bandages on her face and you, you never really see anybody else and then the episode ends when they take the bandages off her face and she's by our standards a beautiful woman she's and then uh, you, Ellie Mae from she, um, I was going to say she's Ellie Mae Clampett yeah yeah, yeah. And, and then you see everybody else and they all have kind of like pig faces and they look at her as if she's hideous yeah they all look uh, like Jethro <laughs> <laughs> like the, the, other, the other one the other one that it reminds me of is uh, People Are Alike All Over, if you remember that one with uh, Roddy McDowell, yeah. where he, they go to another planet and they start treating him like a king and he's all thrilled and everything until he finds out he's in a zoo. Mm-hmm. So there was th- that was what the Twilight Zone connection for me. And then the other thing about this is it just reminded me a little bit of the cage with the Telosians putting them in a cell and kind of keeping on, you know. So you're here to entertain us. Well, yeah, I, got also, a, I got a cage vibe off it as well. There was an original episode series that's named uh, um, uh, Eye of the Beholder, not the Eye of the Beholder like this is. That's true. That was that was the one with the people who move so fast you can't see them? No, uh, was no I thought eye. that was the one with the Medusa. That was the week of an eye. You're right. You're right. That was the one with... Uh, oh, Eye of the Beholder is a next generation episode. What? Is it? Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So what the heck am I thinking of? I don't know. Tell me your plot and I'll tell you. The one with the Medusin with the ugly guy in the box. Oh, that's, uh, is there in Truth No Beauty? Oh, okay. Yeah. That's got Dr. Pulaski, future yeah. Dr. Pulaski. Future one of her two appearances on the Red series. Yeah. Where she played two different characters. Yes. Well, three if you count Dr. Pulaski. Oh, true. Well, I just meant on the on the, the original series where, where the other one was the eight, the when Kirk became Sargon. Yeah, Return to Tomorrow. Yeah, and they all gave them the booming voices. <laughs> yes, and Leonard Nimoy gets to camp it up, which is always funny. <laughs> There's also a novelization, I had the Beholder, for the next generation. There is, by Anne Crispin. 
Wow, we're just all full of information. People this, say we don't do a any, novelization uh, of this story by Alan Dean Foster. Yes, with a different ending. And it modifies oh, that, the what, endi- ending slightly ending? by putting a condition on the release of Kirk and the others, namely that in the exchange the Enterprise will help the Electrans locate another alien race that they have known long ago. To this right. end, two adult Electrans and their child, who has befriended Scotty, will beam aboard for the journey. This segues into a second, the second half of the novel. Interesting. So it's, it's kind of the novel plus a sequel. So they just like stick out a little tentacle. Can you give us a ride? Go my way. <laughs> so now the other thing that this had had like brought up in my mind was it, it reminded me a little bit in certain res- certain aspects of E.T. You know, Bill's favorite movie. Never seen uh, it. But because in E.T. spoiler, Bill. Mm-hmm. In E.T. the adults basically chase after the alien, uh, you know, because they're going to either examine him or put him in a zoo or whatever, and he's befriended by a child. who. Yeah, but do they have guns or walkie-talkies? I do know that, at least that much about the movie. Okay, well, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, this in this one... You do one, know what I'm talking about, us, right? I'm not really quite sure. I know what you're talking about. Thank you, Dave. I got it. Thank you. Well, why don't you explain this? Because I happen to be thick. Here, the guy that's never seen the movie will tell you that when they redid it, they edited out scenes where people have guns and put walkie-talkies in their hands. Okay, and then well, they I don't think I've ever seen the re-edited version. Yeah, probably because Spielberg realized it was a massive mistake and changed it back for subsequent re-releases. Ah, see, I didn't know that they did that. Still Unlike George, he didn't dig his heels in and complain and say that, well, it makes Han Solo a cold-blooded murderer, whilst the audience are sat there going, no, no, it doesn't. So we, we really don't seem to have a lot. To I have a couple here. of questions before Good, we Good, thank on. you. All right, Lombo, hit us up. <laughs> Just one more thing. Now, the aerial, it got no reception, apparently. But when they beamed down, and everybody left. How are they going to get back to the ship? I kind of thought we established in the original show somebody had to remain behind to beam you up. Hmm. You know, you'd think one guy would have like a recall button that would just automatically lock onto him with the transporter. Recall, recall. Oh wait, a minute. that was that was uh, what's we call it? Recola? No, recall. That's uh. What the hell is the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Uh, Total, Total Recall. recall. Oh. When 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 he's when he starts telling the guy about that he was thinking of doing it, and the guy's oh that's with the commercials. Recall, recall. Then uh, oh, go ahead. Then we had the point where uh, they find out that the captain of the other ship went down, and Kirk of all people has the pad to say, "Oh, you got to follow the regulations in the book to the letter." Well, he is a rule follower, if nothing else. Mm. McCoy clearly needs sensitivity training. Mm-hmm. Now, how funny would it have been if, you know, since they made it such a point of stunning everything instead of just killing it, if they stunned that first creature and it drowned? Whoopsie. Well, maybe he's pretty buoyant and he would have floated. 
the changes in environments, all I kept thinking was Planet of the Apes, how they went from a desert to uh, a lush landscape. Uh, okay. Spock, and I quote, you propose the same environment necessarily prompts the same evolution? And my response is Omega Glory, same politics as well. Miri, same society, same people. Bread and circuses, same politics and religion. Uh, now the whole ending where the creatures say you might be interested in interesting and say 10,000 years, 20, whatever it was, wasn't that with either the Organians or the Metrons where it was the same thing? Where they leave and say, yeah, well, we'll be back in 20,000 years. I thought that was the end of Rudolph with Santa. <laughs> what? So we'll be back again next year. Oh, oh no, it's Frosty. My mistake. Actually, That's the only I thing I ever think about when somebody mentions the Metrons is we are the Metrons. <laughs> it's, it's it. That's all I get. Oh, I killed the show. <laughs> uh, look, I don't think you've killed it so much as this. It is, this is Star Trek by the numbers really, isn't it? There's nothing really yeah. bad about it by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a tried and true story that we've seen done many times before not just on star trek as paul pointed out i'm gonna say something i've never said before i quite like the animation in this one i like that the budget stretches to depicting the aliens as aliens mm -hmm. and not standard you know people from central casting or people with funny bumps on the head so that's a plus point um but yeah it's it's mostly just okay it's not bad and it's not good it's just it's fine now some of the newer um yeah the newer animations stood out we did have a repeat of those little you know swooping dragon looking creatures mm. eh, it was all right it's a i mean repeat but it was there was enough new stuff that i caught while yeah. i was watching is like oh okay so, all right this isn't just a complete rehash and reusable old scenes now that being said i did I gotta stop watching these later at, at, at night. Maybe I should just watch them like first on um, before I start, because I watched two two episodes of The Expanse. This, uh, what else did I watch? Discovery. You know, because I was being on holiday, I was trying to catch up on things because I'd fallen behind. But um, I, I there was a few points in it that I started to like when they're walking through the desert. You know, walking here yeah that i i kept dri drifting off and i was forcing myself to stay awake until we got back, back back to the action maybe it's because the music is so in some cases repetitive hmm. <laughs> exactly so i mean but i still enjoyed it and thought it was it had some interesting concepts granted some of them we've seen in other shows or but there was enough thought and nuances and oh my god especially that riveting performance by uh by by william shatner you're tearing me apart oh wait no that's that's not what it was doing <laughs> i thought say, that was a high point of the episode to be honest. say hello to my little mind 
That was yeah, my I favorite watched this. I watched this on, you know, when I, I finally got my ample body onto a treadmill and I was watching it while I was doing that. So I was actually able to focus on it, really. And I yeah, still felt the need to... Fall off the treadmill, I guess. I still felt the need to watch it again because it just... Even with being able to focus on it, it I just didn't find it all that riveting. No, no, it isn't. No. So you know, it was it was. I think I think Andy, I think you hit it on the head. As far as I'm concerned, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It's just kind of okay. It's you know, it's fine to pass the time for half an hour, but you know, I wouldn't seek it out. So you take the good, you take the bad, and there you have the the facts of Lactor Seven. I am beholder. <laughs> Any points to make on this one? Uh, no. <laughs> that said, I'm going to give it my rating. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. 2.5. I'm right there with you at 2.5. Yeah, yeah, two. Two, 2.5 squished Dr. McCoy's under a giant dinosaur. Yeah, that bit was so funny. <laughs> that was the best part. Yeah, it was. I was like, he's dead. He's it's dead. I'm dead, Jim. Oh, you, know, you knew he wasn't dead because the way his legs were. Oh, yeah, because his legs kept kicking. Oh, my God. Yeah, but that was, that was the funniest part about it was the legs kicking like that. And they're just sitting there. Well, well, if we can't live the dinosaur, I guess we better dig him out. Everybody do the dinosaur. <laughs> Lick on the floor. <laughs> Dr. McCoy's under a dinosaur. Based upon our way of evaluating this stuff, so Bill, Dave, and I were all at 2.5. Andy was at 2. So mm-hmm. Andy hated this one. I did, yes. <laughs> I loathed it with a fiery passion. It's the worst one since Alan Moraine. <laughs> I recently reposted Alan Moraine, if you saw. Good. More people should come to that episode. It came up on the, you know, the memories thing on Facebook. So I was like, let me put that out there again for everybody. So that's what we thought of this. And, you know, we all, the three of us thought it was mediocre. Andy hated it. But what did Blaine say? Blaine said that he thought it was whatever he's going to say. I was just thinking about this, right? Last time when Blaine said he finds Kirk to be a two-dimensional character, right? He was talking about the Chris Pine version, right? I think so. I think that he was. But no. Fair enough. I'll I'll allow that. I think he was saying because it's animated. (laughs) Two-dimensional. Get it. Yeah, whatever. Incoming transmission. Hi guys. This is another example of an episode that wouldn't even have been attempted in live action at the time due to the cost of the creature effects and set pieces. I also hope that the command crew had seen Lieutenant Commander Merkel's message at least once prior to the start of the episode, as if for any reason we do not return, be it known that, would be a terrible place to cut off the playback on first viewing. I appreciate that once again we don't have villains per se, but simply a very different species, and proper communication takes time. Nimoy's delivery of, yes, even Vulcans, was perfect, staying flat as per Vulcan emotional restraint, but dropping an octave or so to reveal which emotions are being restrained. 
It's still jarring to hear Mangel Barrett Roddenberry's voice coming from other characters, since she seems to do nothing to actually change her voice when she performs other females, in this case Randy Bryce. She makes some attempt for morass. I also wonder if David P. Harmon made a conscious choice not to have the audience hear Lactrin telepathy, or if that was decided later to avoid additional voice acting. I suspect the former, since contracts at the time allowed performers to do up to four voices at a single rate of pay, and James Doohan only did three, so there was room for more. Overall, we have a very Trek-friendly message here, which can't always be said for some more recent Star Trek animation, in which a happy ending may include stealing Equipment Federation ship, for example. If this series had been produced in an era where animation was more respected, thereby driving production budgets and values up, it might be remembered alongside the original live-action series with pride instead of being dismissed by far too many fans. Yeah, Majel Barrett doesn't really try to differentiate a voice, but when you're shagging the creator and executive producer, you probably don't have to. <laughs> it was. It's, I, I just I find it amusing that uh, you know James Doohan changes his voice, but he changes it once and leaves it at that one for everyone. <laughs> oh, he's British. He's British. Wasn't bad. That Starfleet officer at the beginning. That was that was okay. The Kirk-looking officer. Yeah, the, the Kirk officer with the, was the other tash on these changes of color, something like yeah. that. Yeah, but again, he sounded like he was about ready to fall asleep. <laughs> you don't know what time of day he was recording this, <laughs> and then what he had been imbibing. Yeah, what he'd been having a drink of. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I I don't think Blaine disagreed with us much, for what it's worth. So we could go with that. And uh, anything else to add before we close this out? Um, I did. Uh... I forgot to mention, I did like the fact that Scotty's the one that gets through to the younger Lactrin and, and, you know, I thought that whole thing was kind of funny. That it was a nice touch that, you know, Scotty's his character gets to actually do something other than sit on the ship, which yeah. has really been a lot of what he's done in this series. Oh, well, no, wait, he did sing that lovely song. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's no I'll take you home again, Kathleen's all I guess. Oh god. <laughs> One more time. Please, God, no. <laughs> really wish somebody would shut him up. <laughs> cut him off. Don't you think I'd cut him off if I could? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little insubordination there on the bridge. Get off my ass, dude. <laughs> that's what she, that's what it's like. That's what it would be today. What do you think I'm effing doing? All right, so that's what we thought of Eye of the Beholder. <laughs> what are we doing next time? Next time, our all-new episode of Toon Trek. We close out the first season by tackling the Jihad. The Vid- Vindala asteroid? Oh, I almost thought that was like the, the onions you get from Georgia. The Vidalia. You got the Vidalia asteroid. It'll make you cry. Oh, sorry. Get some pair of onions, Bill. He knows his onions. What does that mean? You know your stuff. Uh, I know that, but where does it come from? Uh, that's like a 20, 20s or 30s thing? Right, okay. Maybe 40s? He knows it's... his onions. Exactly. Okay. I just wanted to know the etymology of it, because I don't think I know. Well, hold on. I, I can look it up. Vamp, vamp. Oh, extra. This is this is like a DVD extra right here. 
you don't have to listen to this bit if you don't want to. Sure. Oh, no, no, this is in the show. Knowing your onions. Now, you don't get to decide what's in the show, neither do I. We have no an executive, one's an executive producer to do that. Okay. No one's onions. Uh, be very knowledgeable about something. Yeah, that doesn't tell you that he did. Hold on, I'm, the, I'm looking. The I'm first looking use here. of Know Your Onions in print is in the 1920s. Ah, see. It says here, but it could predate that. But it doesn't actually say... No, oh, there you go. Know Your Onions is, in fact, an American phrase. Okay. None of this tells Coined me Coined by an onion from. farmer. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why, you know, you're not as up on it as we are. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know what it... But not, this doesn't explain where it comes from. I understand they don't have onions in England. We don't. Well, we wore them from our belts, which was the style at the time. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> See Bye. you next time. Where's my onions? Trek is based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry, and is a Two True Freaks presentation. It's hosted by Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and produced and guest hosted on occasion by J. David Wheaton. All music and clips are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This is a review show and as such protected under fair use. Yeah, let's go with that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Toon Trek. Sounds like a crypt's opening out in the other Someone room. Someone is in the house. <laughs> yeah, the dog. It's coming we've, from we've inside traced, the house. Trace the call. Uh, Commander Krug in Star Trek 3. Get out! <laughs> it's the only thing that's talking. <laughs>